When I was 17 years old, I remember coming home uh, from school one day, and I was about as heathen as it could come. (laughs) I had no desire to serve a God that my family served. My brother would play a piano upstairs, and I was down in my room listening to my music, doing my thing, and I'll never forget him going into just his heartfelt worship to the Father. And he would sing these words of, what am I without you, God? What am I without you? And as loud as I could turn up my music, I could not drown out those words. (laughs) If that affection would move a heathen heart like mine in that place, how much more did it move the Father's heart? In this moment, in this space right here, this is what we're doing. We're preparing the place. We're preparing the table for God to come to show up here, to do something substantial in our life. This isn't just a normal Sunday church, is it? When God's in the house, things happen. When we sing worship, when we sing our adoration and our love to God, when we pour it out on the feet of Jesus, it says that he inhabits the praises of his people. (laughs) He shows up. And that's what I want. Do you want that? Father, this place is holy because you're here. Not because of what we do, not because of what we bring, God, but because of who you are. And we sing today these songs of love to you, not at a heart of obligation, God, but because we want to. And we want you here. We want you to heal. We want you to speak, God. We want you to challenge us. We want you to inspire us, God. We want to encounter our creator today. Would you do that? Would you connect with your people here in Lone Tree, God, this morning? We love you. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Amen. Come on, give the worship team a hand. Thank you, guys. Give some of them a fist bump and you can grab a seat. I want to welcome everyone. Um, my name's Jake. I get the pleasure to uh, serve here on the team and, and uh, we're glad that you're here and all of the people tuning in online, we're so glad that you tuned in. Um, I'm uh, excited to be here this morning because <clears throat> I've been doing a lot of uh, reading in the book of Acts Anyone read the book of Acts before? If you're kind of new to the Bible, the book of Acts is really just the, the continuation of, of the story of Jesus. It's, it's uh, when Jesus leaves, and it's all about the first church, right? <clears throat> and at the risk of maybe being too transparent, can I be as real as I can with you? Is that okay? <clears throat> I hate reading the book of Acts. <laughs> I, now, before you throw rocks, okay, remember this is a church, <laughs> um, I hate, because listen, I read the book of Acts. I don't know about you, but I walk away so discouraged. <laughs> I read the book of Acts, and the, have you, it is crazy what goes on in the book of Acts. What the first church experienced was nuts. Like you read it, and I, Paul is preaching a message one time, and a guy sitting in a window falls asleep, okay? Which tells me Paul must have not been a great preacher, okay? Right, because I've had a lot of people bored in my messages before, but never like fall asleep, okay, to where they fell out of a window and died. <laughs> like that's that's pretty boring right there. 
thank you, grace of God, right? But, but here's what happened. Instead of them going out and going, oh, George is dead, <laughs> right? Like, you know, they go out and they're like, their first inclination is let's pray that he comes back to life. Are, what? Like, I would, that wouldn't, my, I, I love God with all my heart. That would not, if one of you keeled over right now, that would not be my first thought, okay? It would be like, please call an ambulance, okay? So we've got to do something. But their first inclination is, let's pray for this guy to just come back to life. And guess what? He does. <laughs> I would, if that even happened, okay, in the church, I would flip out. I would, I'd just, I'd walk out and be like, this is too intense. Do you know what I'm talking about? And this was like just another Tuesday in the book of Acts. This happened. Paul is on a, stranded on an island and, and he gets bitten by a poisonous snake and he just shrugs it off. And all the natives are like, well, he's a god. <laughs> he's like, no, it's just God through me, man. Like this is a common occurrence. And I read this, right? And I come to church on Sunday and I'm like, yeah, that song's okay. <laughs> right? Like, let's, uh, God, you know, I pray that I don't get sick today. You know what I'm talking about? And, and so I'm, I'm reading this, and I, I, I walk away, and I'm just like, God, how did we go from the first church being this explosive, like, insane kind of just God-moving experience to, to, to what we have today? And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking on the church. The church is God's best hope here in our culture, in our day, to reach those for the kingdom of God. Don't get me wrong, okay? But when I read Acts, when I read about that first church, it's like two different things going on. And my question is why? What happened between here and now to get what we have now? It's why I, I titled this message Church Dichotomy. Dichotomy is, is something that seems similar but really is different, right? Why is it when I look at the church that first started with those first apostles, why is it so different compared to how we experience church today? I mean, you hear it in the media all the time. The stereotypes of what church is. We've gotten so far, it seems like. And so I want to explore. So my whole week, I've been knee deep in this question. And I feel like God's kind of unpacked something for me and shared some truth, and I'd love to share it with you if you're ready for it. Okay, that's all right. Half of you are with me, the rest of you get on. Now, here's the thing, though, okay? I got a lot that I want to unpack with this, so we're going to be running at like 100 miles an hour, all right? So this isn't like drink from the water fountain. This is like turn on the fire hose, okay, and hope that you get something. Is that okay with you this morning? All right, let's get going then. So crack your Bibles open. We're gonna kind of walk through this. And we're, in order to understand how we got from here to here, we gotta understand where it first all started, okay? So when we look at a map of the Middle East, you'll see, um, you'll see like Italy up here, Africa down here, Russia, China over here. I was thinking, do you remember when it was called USSR? Anyone remember? Yeah, yeah. Russia over here, okay. Middle East. This is where it all started, okay. If you were to pinpoint this little place called Jerusalem here. Can you guys all see that? It's a little time. And, and if we're even more specific, the church really literally started, go ahead, next slide, in this place, the tabernacle. This is where God showed up and he said, I'm gonna dwell amongst you. And what was interesting is you had the 12 tribes of Israel 
uh, when they set up camp, they literally would disperse around. They would camp. And so the, the presence of God literally was right in the middle. And, and then you have second temple, next slide. Um, this is around Jesus' day. This is the upgrade, okay, to the tabernacle. And this was literally um, the home, the dwelling place. It, it's hard for us in our... Greek theology, dualism, Platon, all of these have influenced our thinking very much. We, we think in this, it's, we tend to, um, as Plato kind of talked about, separate mind uh, and spirit from body, right? We, we kind of think there's this spiritual, you know, kind of out there float. And, and, and in this day, it was totally, like the temple, your spirit, even the land itself, it was all spiritual. Does that make sense? Like all of it was, it, there was no kind of separation. So when, when God said, I dwell in the holy of holies, he was saying literally my address, if you want to come visit me, you would address it temple. And this is, you didn't walk outside your door and just go like, I, I just wonder in, you know, is God out there? You never did that because you knew God, his home was right here at temple. And you could walk there. You could see the priests operating day in and day out because this was his home. Now, also central to a Jewish person in those days would have been someone called the rabbi. Everyone say rabbi. rabbi. Now, the rabbi was someone who would take the scriptures, the Torah, and he would uh, interpret the scriptures. He would have studied it. They, they started all Jewish people, boys and girls, would have started at five years old at memorizing the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, okay? And if you excelled in that, then you continued your studies all the way up until age 14. And if you were the best of the best of the best, then a rabbi would call you out and he'd say, I want you to come and follow me. And you have to understand in those days, the rabbi was like a rock star, he was the coolest person in town. You won, everyone wanted to be around the rabbi. Like, we wonder sometimes when Paul, or sorry, Peter, when he's fishing, right, and, and Jesus comes out and calls him out and says, come follow me, we're like, man, he gave up all, all of his, you know, occupation to go do, no, no, that was easy. <laughs> Are you kidding me? The rabbi called me? You bet I'm gonna come follow. Because central to the idea of being a disciple was doing what the rabbi did. Now, disciple in those days were called Talmudin. Everyone say Talmudin. Uh, if you were a Talmudin, you would start literally from age 14, and for years, all you would do is follow the rabbi. You would do as the rabbi does. A lot of time in our Western culture, we, when we find someone honorable, someone that we look up to, we may say things like, I want to be like so-and-so. You remember that commercial back in the 80s, I want to be like Mike? Remember that Nike one? Yeah, I want to be like Mike. I want to be like Michael Jordan. I want to be like him. See, for a rabbi in a Talmudin, it was different. It was, I want to be the rabbi. It was much more than just being like, it was, I'm going to follow this rabbi Everywhere he goes, when he goes to bed, I want to see how he sleeps. When he goes to pray, I want to see how he prays. When he gets angry, I want to see how he gets angry. Because central to being a Talmudin was understanding and doing what the rabbi did. 
It was such a, a, a mainstream way of thought that the Talmudines, the disciples would have a saying uh, that, that, that gained a lot of popularity as they would greet each other or as, or as they would say goodbye to each other, they would say this saying, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Yeah. What do they say? They're saying, may you follow so closely behind the rabbi. Watch everything he does so much that by the end of the day, his dust is caked all over the front of you. May this be your signature, your mark. And so our first 12 disciples, this is where they were. They were doing as the rabbi did. They followed him. This is why Jesus, rabbi, teach us to pray, right? You see this all throughout the scriptures. They were being good, faithful Talmudines. Now, the only problem with this is what happens when your rabbi would die, or would leave in Jesus's case. Jesus dies, he comes back, right? But central to a Talmudine is you would spend years and years until you reached roughly around 30 years of age to where you could go out now and create your own interpretations and be able to bring in your own Talmudines. But what happens in this case when Jesus says, I'm, I'm going and it's actually better because I go? <laughs> what do you do? Well, luckily, the rabbi gives them some instruction. He gives them a little bit of vision, a little bit of clue, and it's found in the book of Acts. Look at this. Chapter one, he says, so when they, the disciples, had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. They're still thinking small picture, you know. Okay, God, you're gonna restore the Jewish people. You're the Messiah. He says, you don't, you don't know the time, the seasons, says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Whoa, who? The Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses, and listen to this, Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, you gotta understand, when the rabbi said this, their jaws must have dropped. Where, what? What did you say? This is going to go where? Remember, this is a small 12, just 12 person church, really. Let me show you a map just to give you an idea. He says, it's gonna, it's gonna, the Holy Spirit's gonna come on you and, and you're gonna be witnesses in Jerusalem. You see that there? Then he says, Judea, this is Judea. And then Samaria, do you notice a, a trend here? <laughs> and then the ends of the earth, <laughs> right? He just throws it all in there. This would have been shocking for someone in this, in this century. For someone who, most people didn't travel 30 miles outside their home. They didn't have planes, trains, automobiles. So for Jesus to say, listen guys, this thing, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, it's gonna go from here to here to here to the ends of the earth. He might as well have just said, we're going to the moon. <laughs> it was that big of a vision. And here's the crazy thing. We're sitting here today because they did it. How did they do it, though? This isn't a lot to go on, right? It's just like, okay, we're gonna, this thing's going to spread, but how is it going to happen? Next, next slide. In chapter 2, we're, we're told of this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, okay? The day of Pentecost, the, the festival of Shavuot, it was a, it was a day to, to celebrate the, the, the first fruits that would come, the fruit for the year, the harvest for the year that would come. But it also had a dual meaning. It, it was also when they celebrated, get this, 
When God gave the Torah, the scriptures, to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave them a gift. What's he doing on this day? Interesting. So on the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. This, I, I don't know how this looked, okay, but this had to have been pretty weird. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this, this, at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, when they heard this, so Peter stands up, and he, he begins to just tell the story of God. They're like, what is going on? And he says, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, what's happening. And he literally goes from Genesis all the way to the end and tells the narrative of God. And then it says this, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Church Growth 101. (laughs) Chapter one, how to go from 12 people to 3,000. Insert Holy Spirit. (laughs) Like, this is crazy. The Holy Spirit shows up, right? Has this tongues of fire, this weird speaking in a different language. People see it, they come out, they tell the story of God. All of a sudden they say, we want to know, we want to be a part of what God is doing here. And it says, in one day, 3,000 people came to know God. Now, what's interesting is people will argue, historians, theologians, where the upper room was. Um, Some will say it was maybe outside of the town a little bit. Some say it was in the courtyards near the temple, in the Gentile quarters there. Um, We don't know, but what we do know is this. It was not in the temple. It was not in the Holy of Holies. So something significant really happened here, something unique that had never happened before. God's address was being changed Where he dwelt, his presence now was no longer in the Holy of Holies, but it was moving. And he even tore the curtain as an exclamation point to everyone of, guys, um, my address is no longer here. It's moved. It's moved from a holy space to now a holy people. This is new This is awesome. We know this is happening. Paul even mentions it here in Romans. He's greeting, he's writing a letter to those in the church of Rome. And this is what he says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be, what is that word? Saints. Saints. is it's the Greek word. Um, he, He mentions it also in Hebrews. Next slide here. Therefore, holy brothers. It's that IA word. It, It literally means holy, sacred place. It's the same word Paul will use in Hebrews just a little bit later to describe the holy of holies. But now he's talking about it 
with you, with me. He's saying, guys, God's no longer where he used to be in the temple. He's not in a holy place now. He is in a holy people. And this would have been shocking. We say all the time, we're like, you know, man, if I'd only lived in those days of Elijah, right? Uh, uh, the days of David, the days of, of Moses to see God show up with a cloud with fire. If we pulled those people in a room and told them, oh yeah, God's not in the temple anymore. He moved, he's living inside of us. They would have been, what? <laughs> he's, he's not a temple where he's in you. He dwells inside. The presence of the holy God is in you. That's so cool. Are you kidding me? I would have longed for that. You mean you wake up and he's just there? When you go to bed, he's just there? And the first church had this. It no longer was relegated to just a location anymore because wherever you went, God went too. And his presence went too. How cool is that? So this thing is starting to pick up, but right now it's just kind of at a grassroots kind of movement, right? There's a little bit of rumor, but we read in a couple chapters later here. Go ahead, next slide. In Acts chapter six, check this out. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose, the Greeks, against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12, the disciples, okay, they summoned the full number of the disciples and they said this, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said, it, it pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, remember that name because we're gonna hear from him in just a bit, and Procarius and Nicanor and Timon and Simba and... Po <laughs> Some of you will get that on the ride home. That's all right. Timon and Parmenius and Nicholas. Anyone notice anything about these names? They're Greek names. These aren't Jewish people. All right, so you're getting the sense now that this thing has moved just, it's not just within Jewish people anymore, but it's actually with non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, the Greeks are. And he was a proselyte, which is someone that, that converted from being a Gentile to being um, uh, a Jew um, of Antioch. And they, these, they sat before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. Listen to this. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. All right, so you have this idea. Things are moving, things are growing, okay? But all of a sudden, like, the 12 can't be everywhere doing everything at the same time. So there's this sense of, if we don't bring other people along, if other people aren't enlisting, if other people aren't taking a part, we're gonna burn out. Like this thing's just gonna fizzle out. It's just gonna be a little fad that started in Jerusalem. And so there's this sense of, we've gotta get people on board here. 
And so they said, we're gonna, we're gonna stay to preaching and, and, and to praying. And, and, they, and they started pulling in people like Philip and Timon and, and Stephen. And, and these guys became, just said, hey, I'll sign up. Whatever, wherever you need me, I'll serve tables for the widows. I'll start there. And there was this camaraderie, this kind of uh, sense of team of, man, okay, we got this thing. Now we're gonna start moving. Now, and, and isn't it interesting that in all the descriptions of when the church grew, up until this point, it says that the church numbers were added. The first time that we hear that the church is actually multiplying is when people come alongside and start serving. Isn't that interesting? When the people go, let us bear, let us take up some weight, let me be a part, give me a role, I want to be someone on the team that can help, whatever it is. Then things start multiplying. Then things really start cooking, all right? Check this out in, verse, in chapter eight. So just two chapters later, okay? Just two chapters later, we get this story. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, remember Philip, right? He was just serving tables, right? He was just cleaning. Now, just a couple chapters later, he's in full-on ministry here. I love that, man. He's like, I'll, I'll, wherever you want me to start. And now God's like, okay, you, you have a little. I'm gonna give you a lot here. It says this, he's, he's um, on this road. He's going towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And this is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian. Now, let me show you a map here, okay? An Ethiopian that's walking by, that's interested about this whole Jesus rabbi thing. Ethiopia is down here in Africa, down towards the south here. This is Jerusalem. Are things moving along here? <laughs> yes, you get the sense of, okay, people down in Africa now are starting to hear about this Jesus, right? The Ethiopians are questioning, what is this, this rabbi guy about? You gotta tell me. Go ahead, go back over there. So it, he rose, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, okay? I'm not gonna explain that one, or I'll let you do your homework. <laughs> he was the court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasures. So he was well-to-do. And he had come to Jerusalem, and get this, to worship, and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah, right? Not everyone had scriptures in those days, too. So the fact that he was reading Isaiah shows that he did have a lot of wealth, okay? This wasn't just some pauper, you know? Uh, he, he, was, he was a well-to-do servant of, of the queen there. And he's reading the prophet Isaiah, and the spirit said to Philip, because where's the presence of God? It's in, in him, it's dwelling in him. The presence of God is now moving, he's mobile. And the spirit of God says, go over and join this chariot. And so Philip ran to him and he heard him reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. <clears throat> and he asked them, do you understand what you're reading? And this is his response to him. How can I, unless someone guides me? And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. <laughs> and, and, and he begins to tell him again the story of God. And he's like, I want in, I want in. And they, they find a body of water just along the side. He's like, let's get baptized. He baptizes them. Philip disappears, man, right there. I'm telling you, the book of Acts is nuts, man. It's crazy. But check this out. <clears throat> Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian's answer is this. How can I understand unless someone guides me, unless someone tells me? 
There's this sense in the early church of, of people are hungry. They want to know. They're curious, but they need a voice. They need someone. It's not the 12 disciples here, is it? No, it's someone else. God needs a voice. He needs someone. Sometimes in our minds, I know it's so easy for us to just think in our Christian bubble and go, well, no one's interested in, in my church. No one's interested in my God. They don't want to know about Jesus. They have these ideas already. I'm just going to be noise to them. Are you sure? Are we sure? Because here you have an example of someone, how am I supposed to understand if no one tells me? There's this idea in the first church that, that we need to also be the voice. We need to tell the stories. What's your story? Have you told people about it? People need to know. How are they gonna know if we don't tell them? The first church got this. They understood this. This was a part of their routine. All right, you with me? All right, next slide here. Check this out, James chapter two. So James, the brother of Jesus, he writes this letter to the church in Jerusalem, so to the Jewish church, the Jewish people, right? He writes this around 40 AD, roughly around there, so just like 10 years after Jesus, okay? He writes this because there's this thing going on um, that he has to address within this growing church that's moving forward now. So this isn't to the Gentiles, this isn't to those that don't know Jesus, this is to the church, this is to those who call themselves follower of Jesus. He says this, but someone will say to you, say, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Listen to this, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you wanna be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So here's what James saying. He's like, guys, you gotta listen to this, okay? Because see, I'm seeing what's happening here. Everyone's excited, the church is moving, but it's turned into now just a belief. It's just turned into something that you retain up here, and it's not translating out here. Does that make sense? He's saying, listen, and listen, we do this all the time. We talk a lot in church. We talk about, it's, it's not about works. It's not about works, right? And rightly so, but, but that's when it comes to our salvation. You cannot do anything to earn God's salvation. God just gives it to you. That's grace. But what James is saying here to the church is your faith, your belief at some point, it has to translate into action. It has to translate into works. You have to see fruit from it. Otherwise, it's just nice thoughts in here. Does this make sense? We see this a lot. And this is, this is what James is saying. So check this out. He goes, you do, you do well just to believe and not have it. Even the demons believe and what? And shudder. Even they believe, have these nice thoughts, and their belief actually turns into action. They're freaked out. <laughs> they shudder. Their faith has works involved. And so this idea is, church, 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 if we're gonna continue to, if we're gonna see God do this all across to the ends of the earth, it's gotta translate. It can't just be stuck here. It has to translate out here. It has to translate in our communities, in our families, at our workplace. We have to love the unlovable. We have to be the servant. 
It's this, and he's almost like, man, you gotta have this like servant's heart. I don't know where he'd get this crazy idea. <laughs> Maybe a rabbi started this thing. Do as the rabbi does. It should translate into this. <laughs> and the church starts doing this. They get it, okay, all right, James. I get it, I get it. Now check this out, next one. First Corinthians chapter 12, so Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. All right, let me show you where that's at in a map here. All right, this is Jerusalem, right? Ethiopia down here. We have Turkey up here. So you have Ephesus, um, the, where the Ephesians was written. All the way over here, you have uh, modern-day Italy, Athens, Rome, and Corinth would have been right around here. Are things moving quite a bit now? Yeah, I think so. Things are moved way past. We're talking ends of the earth now here. And Paul writes this letter to the church there. So this is not Jewish people. This is mainly Gentile people, those who don't, who never grew up knowing Yeshua, who didn't grow up knowing Yahweh, okay? It was all foreign to them, but now they call themselves believer. And Paul, he writes this, go ahead. He says this, you gotta get this, guys. Now, there are a variety of gifts, guys, but the same spirit. And there are varieties, varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. If the whole body were an eye, think about this, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. And if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one. So this thing's exploding. You have people everywhere across the world now taking part of following this rabbi, taking what he said and, and then taking it to another level. And Paul is saying, listen, as this thing grows, church, you have a part to play and you have a part to play. And you have giftings and you have giftings and we can't all be the same thing, right? How weird would it be if everyone was an ear, right? We'd be great listeners, right? <laughs> How would it be if we were all just the mouth? Loud, we'd be very loud probably, right? And bad at listening. And that's why I love, Paul uses this, this, uh, this imagery of the body and he's like, listen guys, he goes, you gotta understand, everyone plays a part. Some roles are more prominent, some are more out in public, more in the open, some are more behind the scenes. And that's okay. Because we're one body. And if you take just one of those parts out, we can't function correctly. Does that make sense? You take the, the pinky, the pinky toe, right? You, have you ever stubbed your pinky toe, man? <laughs> you realize how important your pinky is when you stub it hard in the middle of the night. You're like, ah, I need that. I'm going to lose it. <laughs> you play a part. You have special giftings. You have a unique way that God wired you. There's no one else throughout the history of time that's like you. And the church needs you. There's this idea of we're all doing this together. And if we do that, 
then we can, we can operate as one. Don't go off and just think, oh, I just gotta be, all the ministries just for the preacher, right? Just for those that, that lead the church. No, 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 we all play a part in the body. And this is what Paul's saying. Many parts, one body. All right, so this thing's moving. It's cranking. Things are really starting to happen. Check this out. Ephesians, I gotta show you this last one. This is crazy. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, which we know is in modern-day Turkey. So it's, it's way out there again. And he writes this letter, and he's kind of got this rhythm. You know, he's talking about unity. And then he talks about uh, being, you know the verse, like, don't go to bed angry, right? Don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? He gives this verse. And then out of nowhere, in the middle of this letter, he, he has this, like, little, you know, rabbit trail. It's, it's so weird if you read it that you're like, okay, that... That's kind of odd. And then he jumps back kind of on track. Check it out. He says this, out of everywhere. He's like, don't let the sun go down on your ear. And let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Okay. <laughs> like, let the thief no longer steal. I thought, yeah, that's a given. Like, Hello? <laughs> He's, you know, I want to talk to you about anger. I want to talk about unity. And by the way, if you're a thief, stop it. <laughs> and, and, and instead, labor with your hands, okay? All right, Paul, yeah, whatever. Okay, let's move on now. <laughs> Why does he put this in here? What does it have to do with the church? What does it have to do in enabling us? If I'm a thief, what do I steal with? My hands, don't I? I take my hands and I take something away. And Paul says here, he goes, if you're a thief, I, I want you to stop doing that. But then listen to what he says. Instead, he wants you to do honest work with what? His own hands. What's Paul saying here? He's saying this. What, what the enemy meant for destruction and for evil, God's gonna take and repurpose it for something else, for the kingdom of God. Does this make sense? Let me put it this way. So, um, I know you're many, all of you are shocked to know that Pastor Jake wasn't the saint that you think he was growing up, okay? Uh, when I was 18, 17, um, I, I partied. I did, I did every drug there was under the sun, okay? My wife, she's like, I've never done any drugs. And I tell her, I go, don't worry, because I did them all for you, okay? Like, like this was, I was heathen as they come, all right? And, and here's what would happen, typically. Uh, me and my buddies, <laughs> we, would, we would take acid or mushrooms or something, all right? Follow me here. And, <clears throat> and we'd take it, and this is what would happen. is I'd gather my friends up, okay? And we're wigging out, you know, we're you know, seeing things in this. And I go, guys, we gotta go. And they're like, where are we, what do you mean? Where do we got to go? Guys, we got to go find it. <laughs> and they're like, find what? I don't know, but we'll find it when we find it. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, okay, let's go find it. And so we'd all go off in the middle of the woods, you know, for two hours. We're walking around just, you know, red rocks and just like looking. And we're, there's a caterpillar, guys. Do you see that? Yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> and, and then we'd come upon it. It was like a rock or something. And I'm like, guys, we found it. Do you see it? And they're like, yeah. 
I see it. It's the rock. We've been looking for this. <laughs> it's the magic rock. I know, I know. I, you're like... You're like, it all makes sense now. It's all coming together about you, right? <clears throat> I'd have eight guys with us, and we're all just like talking about how magnificent the finding the magical rock was. <clears throat> Here's what I'm saying. What used to be meant for destruction, what used to be meant for brokenness in my own life, God said, I'm going to take that, and I'm going to repurpose it. You used to gather people to take them on a journey. You used to point out truths as you went. What am I doing now? God says, I'm going to take what was meant for this, and I want you to, I'm going to turn it into something else for the kingdom of God. And this is the, it's the beauty from ashes, right? Uh, Larry and Nancy, I was talking with them last night. They're our counseling pastors. And he was telling me, he's like, man, I grew up, my, my mantra, my life, I was a liar. He goes, now in, in, in the ministry I'm in doing counseling, now I'm a teller of truth. Yeah, that's what it's about, man. What is it in your life that maybe you look back on, you go, man, <clears throat> that was meant for destruction that God's saying, no, 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 I'm not done. I'm gonna actually redeem that. I'm gonna take it and I'm gonna use it for the glory of the kingdom of God. This is what the first century church got. And they were doing this. They were practicing this. And this thing is trucking now. It is moving. It has spread. It's past Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's reaching everyone on the four corners of the earth. I want to take you to one last place here. Next slide. <clears throat> It's down here, it's spread all through here, it's moved all through Turkey, but I wanna take you to one last place and it's up here in modern day Istanbul. It wasn't always known as Istanbul. The former name <clears throat> was Constantinople. It was named after the Roman emperor Constantine. And if you were to go to Istanbul now or then Constantinople, you would find a place called the Hagia Sophia. Anyone ever been there, seen the Hagia Sophia? Let me show you a picture of it. It is spectacular. This was built by the church. This was built, this place is amazing. It's three and a half football fields long. It can fit 5,000 worshipers in it. This thing was built at the height of the Christian movement all the way up in Turkey. Next slide. Look at these pictures on the inside. These, this dome, mathematicians, physicists, they still can't figure out how it's standing. They don't understand it. Next slide. It survived three earthquakes in its time. Now it's owned by the Muslims, but it's gone back and forth from the church to the Muslims, from the church to the Muslims. You see beautiful mosaics here. 10,000 people worked on this for five years straight. I've been there. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Next slide. Look at these uh, columns. You have, you have 12 marble uh, columns here, 12 representing the, the 12 disciples. The, the, the town of Ephesus, some of the stones are brought in from the, the Artemis temple in Ephesus. This thing was magnificent. If you saw it and walked in, you'd be like, whoa, this represents God to the T. Next slide. Look at these chandeliers that, that hang down. 
It's absolutely amazing. Over 300 feet tall here. Listen to this next slide. Look at this place, this place. In Turkey alone, you have seven of the most, of the biggest ecumenical councils that, that uh, help define the doctrine of the church that we know of. Three of them happened here. Have you heard the, the Nicene Creed before? It happened in Turkey. Okay, Three of those meetings happened in this building. Where they did, the split between the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church, those decisions were made in this place. And for hundreds of years, Constant, Constantinople became the capital of Christianity. There was nothing else like this. When you walked in that building, you knew, man, this small 12 disciple thing has grown into something really, really big. And for 900 years, church, for 900 years, Christianity spread like a wildfire until it stopped. After 900 years of it, all of a sudden it changed. In fact, if you were to go there now, it's dwindled so much. If you were to go to Turkey, you would find less than 2% of the population say they follow Jesus Christ. This is a far cry from the church. What happened? What happened to this massive wildfire? This thing blew up so big. What brought it to just nothing? There's lots of reasons we can tell, but can I give you what I think? For 900 years, this was the capital. For 900 years, over time, this thing became known as central to Christianity. And for the first time in history, Christianity became legal. Constantine enacted Rome, Christianity as the religion of Rome. And for the first time in history, Christianity became easy. And as it became easy, we started seeing more and more churches build magnificent buildings like this in honor of their God. And get this church, this is why I think we're at where we're at. God spent hundreds of years trying to get out of a building and we've done our best to try and put him back into a building. Jubilee, you do not go to a church. You are the church. We need your voice. The church needs your gifts. The church needs your talents. You're an important member to the body. It can't just be the pastors. It can't just be the ministers. It has to be more than this. People aren't excited about going to a church, but when they see the church in action, this is what changes lives. This is what causes people to look and go, something's, something's different here. God has moved his address, and we're trying our best to put him back in a box. And we gotta stop it. We have to go out and be, church, our walls to Jubilee are not these walls here. Our walls is the four state lines of Colorado, hello? And they need us. The world needs us. They need you. All right, <clears throat> I wanna try something here. <clears throat> it's a little risky, but I'm gonna need your help. Is that okay?
Okay. <clears throat> Any singers in the house? Okay, you're about to all be singers, okay? So I need your help with this, okay? <clears throat> I'm gonna set the tone here, okay? Ba, ba, ba. Perfect, perfect, okay. Ba. <laughs> All right. Ba. <laughs> Nicely done. Give yourselves a hand. Question. How many of you are singers, professionally trained singers? Not, a, not anyone here, okay? Especially this first row here. I'm just, just saying, my wife. <laughs> Here's the thing. It all came together, didn't it? I mean, ultimately it sounded, did I give you every, I didn't give you every note, but you got it. How did you get it? When someone sets the tone, when we set the tone and we know where to start, then we know where we, where we go, can go next. And you got it. And it doesn't matter if you had a bad voice because when all of us were doing it together, it came out and it was beautiful. Church, Jesus sets the tone. He said it a long time ago, do as the rabbi does. And when he sets the tone and we move with it, this is when we quit going to church and we start being the church. Be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And as you do this, we don't need fancy programs. We don't need fancy lights and attractive, you know, come do this. We don't need that if we're actually becoming the church, the hands and feet of Jesus out there. And this world needs it so bad. Have you seen the news? Have you seen what is happening? They need us. Let's be the church. Would you stand with me? Jesus, thank you for setting the tone. And man, in a message like this, Holy Spirit, I know you're stirring hearts all kinds of different directions, I believe. We don't want to go out there, God, and leave this to create a name for Jubilee, God, because it's not about that. We want to be known as people who are in completely love with you, God. We want to be known out there in our workplaces, in our families, in our communities, with our next-door neighbors, as those people that follow the rabbi, that love the unlovable, that give voice and tell the story, God that find their unique place, even if that's serving tables in the smallest place, God, because we know we're important to the bigger role of the body. Empower us, Father, to be the church. Empower us to change this world. God, empower us to change Lone Tree. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Come on, let's worship one last time here.